This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Goalie Ashwa Gummies. You can find them at goalie.com. Use promo code the Show Up That Foundation to get 10% off your order. Zendurance Active Wellness and Sports Nutrition. Their products are designed to maximize your health. At Zendurance, they strive to support and have a positive impact on the wellness of every hardworking dad. Use my code, the show up dad, and get 10% off your next purchase. For more info, go to www.zendurance.com. Tall Man Equipment, standing taller than the rest of the competition in Lyman Tools since 1952. Give them a follow at www.tallmanequipment.com. And last but not least, Adam Lane Smith. He is an attachment specialist who helps people to heal, connect, and build. Use my promo code SHOW, spelled S-H-O-W, for a 50% discount on his attachment boot camp course. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show up, Dad. Today, we have a very special guest joining us who is here to help us navigate the world of finances and relationships. Please give a warm welcome to Bill Nelson. He is a certified financial planner and a certified financial therapist. Bill's expertise lie in working with couples to help them achieve their most important life goals while reducing money fights and financial anxiety in their marriages. He understands the unique challenges that couples face when it comes to managing their finances and is here to share his wisdom and insights on how we can build a secure financial foundation for our families. At the Show Up Dad, we believe that being a supportive and involved father goes beyond just providing for our families. It's about being present in all aspects of our loved ones' lives, including the financial aspect. By bringing experts like Bill into our show, we aim to empower dads to take an active role in managing their family's finances and creating a harmonious environment where financial decisions are made with confidence. Get ready for an enlightening and engaging discussion how we can empower ourselves and strengthen our relationships through financial well-being. Bill, we are thrilled to have you on here, bro. So uh, let's take it away, man. Let's get into yeah. this exciting conversation. Yeah. Th- thank you so much for, for having me and thank you for doing the work that you do. I have a two-year-old um, daughter and I, I, I've kind of seen firsthand the the challenges of running the business and you know getting getting it going on the entrepreneurial side while also making sure to stay present with um with my family it's it, it's it's always a tight road to walk and uh, yeah, I appreciate you doing the work that you do. Well, we appreciate that, dude. Uh, so, how did you get into this line of work? Like, like, how did you come about being a certified financial planner and financial therapist? And just tell us about your background, if you don't mind, brother. Yeah. So back back in 2015, my my wife or girlfriend at the time, wife now, um, was in was in med- medical school and was graduating, doing a residency. And long story short, that that prompted me to move. You know, we we relocated. I had you know was kind of set up working at the, at the time in a related field, but not working one on one with with people when it came to their finances. And it was really that transition that caused me to get into this line of work in terms of uh, helping people navigate financial decisions in their lives. And I you know I, I had a job at the time. And I, I basically stayed there long enough to know that I liked doing that type of work, but really disliked the way they were having me do it. Mm-hmm. And you know, at, at the time, there really just, there weren't that many financial planning jobs out there that weren't geared for towards exclusively retirees. And, you know, I, I, I actually point blank had somebody at my old, at my old employer train me, you know, if you, if you're meeting with a couple and they start 
bickering about money, like that's your cue to change the subject to literally anything else. And uh, at the time I, I was, um, I was engaged at the time and I was, I was kind of learning how to make financial, you know, going from making financial decisions on my own to making financial um, decisions with my spouse, who we have a lot in common, but we also have some things that are really not in common, trying to figure out the right strategies that worked for us. And so I just decided to do it on my own. I, I, I went out, um, went out on my own in, in, in 2016. And then, and then, you know, over time, right. I found that, you know, I, I'm a math nerd at heart, right. It's why I got into financial planning. I like my spreadsheets and my software, my calculators to, I, you know, back then I kind of thought those solve would solve all of my problems, but um, it quickly became apparent as I was meeting with couples that right, there were some spreadsheets that, or, or there, there were some problems that spreadsheets just weren't going to solve and that, um, got me down the road to, to to getting into the financial therapy world and helping couples navigate the the harder questions when it comes to their money. So talking about that, what are some common challenges that couples may face that you've seen when it comes to managing their finances? And like, what have you seen how they could overcome them? Yeah. Um, first and foremost are, are on the newer family side, right? So couples who are engaged, newly married, um, first child, that type of thing. And um, they're 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 used to managing money on their own, right? And they, you know they've they've graduated school and sometimes they're working for several years before they get married. And you know you you come into a marriage and you, know, you kind of have your fixed way of doing things that you think the way things that should be done. And then you add a second person's income and debts and expenses and and the like into the mix, and it it um, it can get twice as difficult, right? Particularly when you when you don't have the the system to manage it together. Um, yeah. And, and and that kind of leads me to the, the second overarching piece, which is just communication challenges, right? Money, money is is in many ways the last taboo that we have in our society, right? You know, like we we, we used to not talk about things like, you know, we were not talking about things like politics and religion and, and and so on. And people have gotten a lot more comfortable talking about those things, but money is not one of them, right? Um, the, the odds are pretty good if you if you think of five or six or seven friends that you have, like you could tell me something about their political leanings or their religious background, but odds aren't so good that you could tell me what they make for, for, for a living, right? It's, it's yeah, not a subject yeah. that most of us are, are, are comfortable talking about. And when you're in a marriage, you got to figure it out, right? Yeah, no, I definitely see that, Bill, because, um, and this is just to top off what you're, what you're saying about talking about money, right? Um, in the industry that I'm in, being a lineman, we throw out figures all the time like for us to say oh yeah i made three four hundred thousand last year or five hundred thousand last year that's like the norm for us and we talk like that amongst each other right and even our wives talk like that to other wives and stuff like that right but man when i get around other people who have degrees or um who aren't blessed blessed in that area like we are man, dude, you should see their faces. They get so upset and they come off like, oh, why are you bragging? And it's not that we're bragging. It's just, we have gone so comfortable throwing around those numbers. Like for me to say, I'm going to go buy a Harley tomorrow cash. That is something very reasonable. You know what I mean? For us, you know what I mean? But mm -hmm. what people don't understand is the sacrifices that we have made to make that type of money. It's not given away. You know what I mean? So it's, I could see where it can be taboo is what I'm getting at. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, everybody's like the, the numbers in everybody's plan are different, right? Everybody's starting point is different. And um, yeah, to you, to your point, right? It it takes a lot of things behind the scenes to get to the point where you're able to buy a Harley in cash. But, um, you know, you, if we run a survey about 
the the you know the number of people out there who who could do that or would be willing to do that like it's um that often just isn't the case um you know everybody is is in a different spot and and money like gets so caught up in like conversations about money are never just about the money right there's emotions of uh, dreams and fears and um you know, providing for your family right? like, like there's so much attached to it mm -hmm. that you know, even just the pure financial decisions that we face right or they're never just about the money right there's there there's, there's always the spreadsheet in the background that we need to figure out how to how to optimize but um there's there, there's always other stuff that we need to, to 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 factor in yeah for sure and even i like to say that people usually don't really care until it affects their money mm -hmm. like and i'll give you a prime example um say for instance um you know something's going on at a work site or whatever a job or whatever you know uh somebody gets laid off or whatever no one cares right no one's going to bring up that problem they might kind of sit behind the scenes and be like yeah that's not cool that's you know what i mean that sucks to be him whatever but until it actually affects you in your own account is when you start to care, right? And that's the effect of money. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, until it starts affecting your paycheck. And I'll even take this, you know, and this is kind of a little off subject, but uh, say for instance, fuel prices. Mm -hmm. No one cares about all this other stuff. It still starts affecting them in their own pockets. Once mm -hmm. it starts affecting them in their pockets, that's when they start complaining. Yep. So that, that that's crazy that it has that so much effect and that much uh, but that much power around it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean the the you know the 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 power that money has in those cases is it 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 lets you do the things that you need or or want to do, right? It, it's um, it's a means to an end, and mm -hmm. the, the 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 question is right. What what are those ends, and um, how how feasible are they? And I mean, certainly any time that um, that balance gets thrown off at um, yeah, it can, it can be hard for people. For sure, for sure. Now, you said about communication, right? Um, how can couples like effectively communicate about money, you know, especially with like a young couple and financial matters, you know, because mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of conflicts and tension that surround that, especially for a young couple. I mean, mm -hmm. um, what are some strategies that they can incorporate? Yeah, so the the, the first piece is just start. Right. Okay. If, if you if money is something that you're not talking about in your marriage, right, that is something that we want to um, we need to just start doing somehow. And, and, and you can ease into it. Right. I often encourage people to start small, set a very small goal just to get the ball rolling in the right direction. Um, have a, you know, e even as simple as, hey, can we sit down like next Thursday or Friday and spend some time going through this stuff? Right. That, that, that's a 15 second conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but it sets you up so that when that Thursday or Friday comes around, right, your, your spouse is in a position where they know we're going to talk about this, right. They're going to be more open to it. You're not catching them off guard. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I find that often kind of teeing up the conversation that way can, can really help. Um, the, 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 the next piece then is like, if you already are talking about money, but it often doesn't go well, as is the case, um, more and more these days, it seems like, right. There have been studies that have come out that have shown that, you know, forty percent of couples argue about money or money-related topics at least once a week. Right? I mean, it's a it's a very hard topic for for a lot of spouses to talk about. Mm -hmm. um, the the question that I would have to anyone listening to the show is, 
to, to really take a step back and figure out why, right? Where do these conversations tend to go off the rails, right? Is it the way that you were bringing them up, right? And I, and I would just encourage everybody to just kind of put the defenses down and ask yourself that and really think about it mm-hmm. for, for a minute or two. And might not be, it might not have anything to do with the way you're bringing it up, right? But at least then you can check that box off before we go to the next thing mm-hmm. d- down the list. Um, is it the way that you're asking? Are you coming on too strong? Are you not coming on strong enough so that your spouse isn't hearing how important these things are to you? Um, are you like, are you just kind of coming from a completely different perspective, right? Getting clear on where things are going wrong first, and then from there, figuring out what the right prescription to take is, right? You know, we, we are, and by we, I mean the financial planning world, right? Tends to be really, really good at handing out prescriptions um, for, for financial things, particularly for couples. Um, mm-hmm. You should always combine all your accounts. You should never combine any of your accounts, right? We're, we're very quick to say things like that. Um, but we're not always good at getting the diagnosis right before we pull out the prescription pad. And, and so I think that, you know, just even going through either um, just kind of doing some self-reflection and sitting with it, right. Going through that diagnosis process to figuring out um, where the conversation is getting derailed to me is really important because um, only then can you actually implement the right solution. Bill, how much does family of origin have to play in your financial decisions? Like say for instance, you know, in your upbringing, your father was a breadwinner. Your mother had no access to the money. Father made all the the decisions, you know what I mean? And you carry that out in your own family and your wife wants to be a part of you, right? Because they want to be an extension of you, right? That's mm-hmm. what God designed them to be helpers for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you seen is that aspect, you know? Uh, absolutely. It, it, it affects things and it goes... I mean, really to every aspect of your finances, right? We we all have, you know, tens, hundreds of, of kind of unconscious beliefs about money and the role that money plays in our lives that um, that affect the way that we make financial decisions. A lot of that does certainly come from what money was like growing up for us, whether it was things that pe- where people were overtly teaching to us or whether things that we just kind of read between the lines about. Um you know, th- things like statements like more money, having more money could solve all of my problems, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is an example of one that I often see, uh, particular, particularly for, for for people in the first half of their career, um, it is kind of this unconscious belief that often drives the financial decisions we make. And um, those type of statements, like more money can solve all of my problems, are certainly partially true, right? There, there are a lot of problems that you could have that having more money would would solve, but mm-hmm. but there are limitations to it. It's a half truth, right? There are plenty of, like, you know, more money isn't going to directly solve any health problems that you have. Um, if you are isolated and feeling lonely, right? You know, just having more money isn't necessarily going to solve that problem. In fact, it can actually make the problem worse sometimes. Um, and so we all have these kind of unconscious money scripts, so to speak, that that drive our financial behavior. And oftentimes mm-hmm. they are, many of them are directly opposed to the way that your spouse thinks about money. There's actually a growing body of research out there that actually shows that we do tend to attract our financial opposites. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in, in, in that regard, people have kind of talked about it for years, but like there's actually like, it is it, actually looking like that is more often than not actually true. Um, and so, yeah, it, it absolutely does. Um, 
affect things and you know it, it kind of gets to the to that diagnosis part right trying to identify what is it about your um, spouse's background that is affecting the way that they're coming to this conversation where you're where you're not in alignment like trying to just get that understanding so that then we can figure out what to do about it mm-hmm. um i'll tell you a quick story you know a couple of years back i was working with a couple and um the, the they they can it, it wasn't what they came to me about but it became pretty clear in our first or second meeting that the the way that the husband was managing their joint checking account was like actively creating stress for the wife um and that he would constantly drain it down to as close to zero as possible and uh, everything that came in was immediately routed to um go to this investment or to you know pay their bills of course obviously um but yeah like she she really wanted to have a little bit more of a cushion um in that account nothing nothing too crazy like i think it, it, the, the numbers that she was talking about were appropriate from my perspective but he just wasn't willing to do it like he, he just was not interested he's like no we can't keep any money on hand we got to be investing everything we make and we, we we explored that a little bit and kind of trying to understand where he was coming from and it turns out i, I won't um won't name the specific country, but he he grew up in in Eastern Europe right after the fall of the Soviet Union in a in a country that experienced massive hyperinflation in yeah. um in his childhood, and so he watched his family's experience and and kind of internalized two things. Right, first and foremost, if you have money in your bank account now today, like it's time to spend it. Right, you you know yeah. like there there's 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 no guarantee you're going to be able to spend the money that way the way you want to. Um, tomorrow in in the way that you can today and anything else that you're not saving has to be invested right because savings account in hyperinflationary environments are are essentially useless because things are just getting so much more expensive tomorrow Mm -hmm. um and so that was what was driving his decision right and the wife just hadn't i'm not even sure he connected the dots right and his wife certainly didn't and it wasn't until we talked through that and identified okay here's why we don't necessarily need to worry about that to this extreme in the U.S. today. Like there are some of the, and we were able to kind of find the, the right solution for them based on that. But it wasn't until we kind of realized how his upbringing, how his experience as a child, um, watching his 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 dad and his mom marry, uh, manage money, that we were able to kind of move forward with that. That's so cool because when you're talking about the story, Bill, I could start seeing where communication would be an asset to them. You know, mm-hmm. um, obviously. He didn't know what was going on, you know, but your help was able to break through as a coach, right? Break through and say, Hey man, these are the common points that we see that you can use that you can like work on. And this could be your driving force here. That's causing you to act like this. And now you can communicate with your spouse mm-hmm. and she can know the why behind the mm-hmm. reason you're doing this. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think that right there, even in marriage, even with our children, when you're able to communicate, and tell the why that alleviates so much stress, dude. And it alleviates so much confusion, right? Yeah. And having the conversation in a way where like, there's not a winner or loser. There's not somebody who's right or wrong. Like I I was pretty sure going into that conversation that my recommendation was going to be like, keep some more money in your checking account, dude. Like it'll be, it'll be fine. Right. But if I just led with that and told him to do that, nothing would have happened, right? It wasn't until we we went through that diagnosis process of trying to figure out what the um, kind of what, what the underlying issue was. Obviously, it's not like a medical diagnosis in this case; I mean, it's a, it's a metaphor, but 
Um, it wasn't until we went through that process that we were able to kind of help him connect the dots as to how to move forward. I think a lot of times, Bill, like with a lot of the men that I see and, and work with and deal with, um, we think we have more time, right? So we put everything else aside. Mm-hmm. We think, okay, that little league game can wait, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to go to work. I got to plan. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to, I got to buy this boat. I got to buy this truck. I got to, uh, I want this bigger hope home or, you know what I mean? Or whatever. So we tend to go into this mode where we're constantly trying to go to work and get all this stuff, right. Whether it be mm-hmm. saving or, or, you know, even just like toys mm-hmm. and we tend to forget what is important and why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if, and if that statement that you mm-hmm. just laid out resonates with whoever's listening to this, um, the, the number one piece of the one more suggestion that I would have for you is to come up with some sort of financial mission statement for your family with your spouse Right. actually taking a little bit of time to clearly articulate like what your what's most important to you as a family and what your financial priorities are um because that tends to be a really good anchor when financial conflict tends to come up right just kind of having something that having a north star to guide you um and to go, to go back to and having something as close to an objective type standard for your family as we can mm-hmm. um and also just kind of helping you navigate those day-to-day decisions as well Mm, I like that. It. Uh, I think that's the number one thing that we can do, whether it be financial decisions, whether it be a vision for our family, whether it be in even how to parent and discipline our children, you know, unless it's written down and before us, we don't really have a clear goal. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool that you said that because I mean, that could be applicable. I mean, that's, that's applicable through anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, that's really awesome. I like that, you know, having a clear vision, you know, the Bible says that my people suffer for lack of knowledge and mm-hmm. man, when it's right before you and it's written down, then you can fall back to that. Even when we forget, cause I mean, life is busy, dude. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I can have a way I'm going to dis- discipline my children or whatever. And unless it's written down for me, I'm going to slack up on it. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to fall back to that. And what, what does our family need? What does our wives need? They need consistency. Our children need consistency in us, especially being leaders of our home. They need mm-hmm. to see that we are that constant in their life. And what that does is it brings a stability to our wives. So they will trust in our leadership. Yeah. Um, and, and it helps you both make sure that you both are on the same page with, with all of that stuff as well. Right. You know, like exactly. it, it's, you, you, you don't, I mean, I, I often see it with um, to, to get down to a really specific example. Um, things, right. You know, say, say, saving for kids college is kind of one of the financial goals that they teach you in financial planning. And the, the number of times I've had where um, it, it's very clear to me that like, this couple's never talked about this before and they do not, they do not agree on this, right? Where one, one person says, I pay my own way through school. It was like one of the most important kind of foundational things that uh, experiences that I had. So my, my children do the same. And the other spouse says, no, but like we can help them out with, 
XYZ things. Like it, it until you kind of come together and lay out what that goal is, um, you just you don't know what the blind spots are. Hmm. Yeah, and there's definitely a lot of blind spots for sure, especially with our financial values and priorities. <laughs> you know, you better believe it. So what role does like financial education play in building a solid financial foundation for couples and what resources or tools would you recommend for couples? Yeah, it's a, it's a really it's a really good question because most of us don't have it. Right. Now, yeah. most of us w went through school and, uh, you know, we learned everything from how to play the recorder to trigonometry to uh, the ins and outs of the Holy Roman Empire. And I'm sure everybody in your audience is putting all those skills to good use um, right now. <laughs> right. Um, what, what most of us didn't learn how to do was like how to do a tax return or how to balance a checkbook isn't something that people do so much these days, but the, the modern equivalent of that. Right. Um, nobody taught us how to manage money and nobody taught us how to be a good spouse in school either, unless mm -hmm. you're all high school, high school curriculum looked different than mine did. Um, and so like, you know, we, we, I think it's, it's, uh, always good to come into these conversations, just kind of being comfortable with the fact that like nobody taught me directly how to do this. So much of our, the way we are naturally inclined and hardwired to approach these financial decisions does come from our from our upbringing, right? And, you know, we can certainly make some decisions about what, which of those experiences we want to replicate for our families and what we might want to do differently. Um, but I think the, the the first piece is just kind of being comfortable that with the idea that we don't have all the answers because really how how could we? Like, I, I don't think that's a reasonable expectation for for anyone to have because most of us were never really, never really taught about, you know, the, the ins and outs of capital gains taxes and like all, all the all the different pieces that you need to think through when you're making these financial decisions for your for your family's future. And so I mean I, I have a little bit of a bias here in terms of like I, I think it's always good to have a third party involved in 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 these conversations, of course. But um really I think that, that there, there's a lot of different resources out there that you know you can use to to um, go through it. And, and I think it's always good to have multiple perspectives as well. I think the um the financial industry as a whole is not always, um, and by not always, I mean almost never good at being transparent, right? There, there's a lot of people who have the, their particular schools of thought that, that are always right or wrong. And, you know, like, I think that it's it's good to chat with a, a few people or read a few different types of resources that can kind of get an idea for what, what styles work for you and which, what don't. Mm -hmm. I've always liked the, uh, one of the books that I've read that I thought was pretty awesome was uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yep. Yeah, that was a solid, solid book. Um, it really opened my eyes to financial planning and strategies, and, and just seeing the difference between mindsets. You know, because I know tons and tons of people who are extremely hardworking people, and they're still mm -hmm. poor. So hard work, def. Uh, you know what I mean. Sometimes doesn't make you rich. You know yep. what I mean? You got to have a plan and a strategy, right? Yeah. I, I had a business coach. I'm trying to remember his exact quote. Um, he actually, he, he was the one who introduced me to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like seven, eight mm -hmm. years ago. Um, the, the, the hardest worker doesn't always win, but winners always work hard. Mm. Something like that. Um, I think I watched the quote a little bit, but you know, something that, yeah, like, you know, hard work is, is a, is a, 
is a part of winning, right? But mm -hmm. don't don't just count on that, right? There, you know, you, you should always be looking a few steps ahead and and understanding that hard work um, will get you very far, but it can't be the only piece to to the financial plan. For sure, for sure. And one of the ones that I learned from a lineman, uh, you know, foreman of mine, it was poor man, poor ways. Mm -hmm. You know, poor men have poor ways. You know, and that always stuck with me. You know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And it, it's true. I mean, unfortunately, you know, but uh, those little quotes and sayings like that definitely get you to think. Um, I know that for me, I never really had a plan. I was kind of always just like, ah, you know, I got my savings here. You know, I got this here. I got I got my retirement and, and stuff like that through the union. But I never really thought much into planning you know, especially even for like life insurance. Right. Um, mm -hmm. it wasn't until my brother passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, he was 38 years old. No one ever thought that that would ever happen. This guy was like the strongest dude I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, super healthy, uh, ran every day and everything. And he died on his wife. She mm -hmm. had a widow maker heart attack the day before his 39th birthday. And, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, unfortunately he didn't have anything in place because he himself you know the, i mean the last conversation i had with the dude was man all i got is 20 more years of this shit and i'm gonna retire and go hunting forever you know what i mean because he was a avid hunter real big hunter you know and um we don't got 20 years you know and he unfortunately left his wife with uh all kinds of property and and you know trailers and ATVs and cows and whatever else you know what I'm saying and uh, she had to sell a lot of that stuff to to make ends meet because it was not a on the job fatality mm -hmm. so he didn't have insurance in place you know what I mean so she just wound up with just his social security and whatever else he had you know what I mean he never had like a life insurance in place just in case like a term life insurance yeah. or whatever you know what i'm saying so yeah you, you bet and, and so i mean so first and foremost like i i hear all the time like i have life insurance to work don't need to think about it like i don't sell life insurance myself personally like i give advice on it but i don't like, yeah sell it myself um but you know life insurance through work is almost never enough right even if you check all the boxes like like in, unless you have a very very good policy through work then it's typically not enough and it also ties you to the job you know, if, if you are counting on that insurance through work and something else comes along and they don't offer it, like you're going to lose, you typically lose that coverage when you change jobs. So um, takeaway number one is don't rely on life insurance through work. Um, and, and second of all, yeah, like that, those are the, those are the pieces of people's financial plans that are always the last, no, I shouldn't say always, but almost always the, the last, unless somebody had a parent who died young and they kind of saw that like, I've had a few of those types of conversations as well, going back to like what money was like for you growing up and informing the way we view financial pieces today. Like the, the those types of the, the risk management parts uh, of your plan, so to speak, in terms of having wills or trusts or life insurance or all the above um, guardianship documents, right. For, for, for dads is really important. Um, mm -hmm. I talked to a depressing number of people with children who haven't specified who the guardian would be if something were to happen to them. Mm -hmm. um, and so just getting, getting that stuff in place, it, it's, it doesn't need to be super complicated. You can always upgrade later. Um, but yeah, it doesn't take that long, but just having, having something in place is, is really important. 
Mm -hmm. That's one thing I started looking into was uh, wills versus trusts. And um, man, the difference is eye opening. (laughs) You know, um, trusts are to me, from what I understand, are the way to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my, my, my lawyer doesn't like when I tell people to do that because, because, <laughs> um, because, because I can't give legal advice. Um, yeah. What what I will say is that often, right. When I, when I have those conversations with people, right. There's a, there, there's a, some con- connotations out there about trust funds and things like that, that people tend to view them as rich, rich people problems. And that is not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the benefits of having what's called the trust-based estate plan in place rather than quote unquote, just a will um, is that things kind of flow a lot more easily. Like if you were to pass away, like it's much easier on the people who are left behind. It's a little bit more costly. You got to take some steps to like, it's a little bit more work to get it in place. Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't tell you to not have a will in place because you're, you're waiting till XYZ happens to get the trust in place, like get the will in place tomorrow. Rip can always add the, um, we can always add the trust on top of that. Um, but yeah, there there are. It's one of the most common misconceptions I see, particularly for 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 younger couples out there, right? Like the the things like a. I mean, there are a lot of different types of trusts, right? There's a million different ways that we can set this up. They're designed to be very flexible. They're designed to give you a lot of control over what goes where, when, um, and and it's something that I would recommend most people at least look into. Mm-hmm. So say for a couple navigating the differences in financial values and priorities. Uh, yeah. I, to me, to me, it comes back to that mission statement piece, mission statement. Um, right? Because most of us, when we, when we you know, poll you and your spouse and kind of run through the things that you're looking for in your life and what you want your future to look like and what's like your goals and dreams and things like often those are in alignment mm-hmm. for couples. Most couples agree on the big picture stuff, um, right? What, what we want our future to look like, where where we want to go. The the question always comes down to right, how do we get there? And and I find that when we when we when we zoom out and look at the long term picture and kind of look at you know, what's most important to our family financially, um, it usually is pretty easy to come to a consensus on that. Or or at a minimum, it, it's easy to incorporate both of your perspectives onto that. And then once we have that, um, it really is like reading a, reading a map of a compass, right? You know, we, we then take that, here's where we want to go. Here's the, here's the thing that we're butting heads about, right? How does that particular issue fit into that long-term plan? Right. Um, and either, right. Often, oftentimes when I, when I go through that exercise, right, either like the answer becomes kind of clear when we get out of the day-to-day picture and kind of look at the long-term view, like we have a pretty clear understanding of that or alternatively right there's some missing pieces right you know if we if we do it your way on this and we incorporate this to address my concern um it kind of gets us both to where we need to go i got you i got you so that's kind of the way that they're gonna approach it right with their financial goal setting together right um correct and 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 don't be afraid to put numbers on uh, on some things either right um most stereotypically, right, these types of conflicts that we're talking about come up with spending and saving decisions, right, where one person um, actively enjoys saving money, seeing their bank account balances grow, and the other person doesn't necessarily, like, dislike saving, but if you give if you give them the choice between 
mm-hmm. saving money today or spending money today. Like it's more fun to spend money today, right? Like it's a very, very common, common difference. And I find that putting, like, I, I often don't recommend that those couples go into the weeds of, you know, why did you spend this much on that? Or why did Amazon come to our house for the third time this week? Or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, but instead actually just like setting some bottom line targets, right. In order to get to where we need to go, um, you know, we, we, if, if we spell out these goals and we kind of identify what we need to be setting aside for that, um, if we need to be saving, I don't make up a number, $3,000 a month, let, let's say, um, like that's the only number that matters, right? If you, if you have set that target based on what's most important to you and you are hitting or exceeding that, yeah. um, I don't really care how much you go to Starbucks this week like go go as much as you want right you're you by definition are doing what you need to do to get to where you want to go at the speed with which you want to do it it's only when that isn't the case or there's not enough money to do these things that's when we need to dig into the weeds and and troubleshoot a little bit but i find that having that long-term vision helps when enter when you're when you're going through that man i like that i like that a lot um what are other key considerations when setting goals as a couple you can give us because i mean what you just gave us there that was that was awesome you know it's good i'm glad i appreciate that um so i i guess first and foremost right don't be afraid to start small um okay. right some people um it, it comes up all the time with debt right for if people have tens of thousands or, or hundreds of thousand dollars of whatever kind of debt it is um like you look up at that goal and you say okay like i could it, i know if we pay x amount of money for a while it's going to start to drop off but mm-hmm. just looking up at that big number can be really intimidating for people and so i always tell people just start small right pay off pay off the first thousand dollars right this week do whatever you need to do this week to make that happen and um you know like it, it, it i'm not i'm not telling you to to sell the home and do all these things right but like you can do anything for a week right in, in terms of hustling in terms of selling some stuff you have around the house that you don't use like just get the balls rolling a little bit yeah. and when you do that like once you know an object that goes into motion tends to stay in motion right and like you, you, know, you just force yourself to get moving with a really small mm-hmm. um, target that you're setting for yourself in, in the immediate future and then from there, you start to look ahead and go, go go to what's next, right? Don't be afraid to, particularly if it's something that you've struggled with for a while or you've been worried about for a while, don't be afraid to start smaller, right? Almost always when people have been stuck, right, they're 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 looking at too, either they just haven't been talking about it, right, or they're, they're trying to do too much at once, right? Don't mm-hmm. be afraid to start small. Don't be afraid to focus on one goal at a time either um because i find that that often can help accelerate progress a little bit too um you know us financial planners like compound interest and like the sooner you start investing the the faster your money grows in the long run right so like i'm not i would never tell you to not save save anything for retirement like that's important do it but um in terms of short-term stuff right if you want to you 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 gave me a nice list earlier right by the by the boat by the car right all that stuff like don't focus on buying the boat and car at the same time Right. Mm-hmm. It, 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 if, you're not, if you're not in a position where you can't just do that, um, set a goal for one of them, accomplish that first and then move on to the other one. I find that if you kind of focus on one thing at a time, you actually end up moving a little bit faster as you go. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of times, too, is we think the money's always going to be there, though. Right. Mm-hmm. The overtime's always going to be there. Right. Um, I had a good friend of mine tell me when I was coming up in the industry, he told me, he's like, Davey. 
he's like, man, whatever you can afford on 40 hours, that's what your bill should be. Anything over that, the overtime, he's all, that's the gravy. That's where you set aside and you start doing that. He's like, but if you can't afford your bills on 40 hours, something's wrong. You need to reassess your life, you know? And I see that so true now because everybody thinks the overtime is going to be there. They're going to think, oh, yeah, 80, 90, 90 hours a week. You know what I mean? I can go buy this. I can go buy that like you're talking about. You know what I mean? But, man, that's not going to be there, you know, for yeah. long, you know, especially. Yeah, it, uh, it works really well in short doses, right? Yes. But but don't have that be the 20, 30-year plan. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And that adds stress, too, when you're doing that. When you're, you know, I've had friends do that. Man, as soon as they had money in their pocket, it was like they had a hole in their pocket because they would just, that money would just flow in and out, in and out, in and out, nonstop, you know, from buying old cars to to whatever. It's like they had no money discipline at all, you know, and that yeah, I, caused a lot of stress on the wives, you know. Yeah, and I'll, I'll even go a step further beyond just kind of the, the the discipline type situations that you're finding. Like I I often find that people, like there, there tends to be a, a state that, couples often feel pretty comfortable in, right? Whether whether it's in terms of income or cash on hand or investment accounts, like it, it, it people get really comfortable where they're at um, mm-hmm. some, sometimes, not, not always, but um, I, I've seen a few cases recently where uh, I, I've actually had somebody point blank say to me, like, look, I, I you know, I'm used to seeing my savings account have $25,000 in it. And if it, if it goes below that, I hustle as hard as I can to get, to get it back to that point. Um, and if it goes over that, I like, I do, I do other stuff with it because like it, it, you know, I have the money's there, I can use it, but like, I, I, I like, I'm very comfortable at that $25,000 point. Like there, there, there is something to that, right. In terms of like getting to, to a place where, where you're comfortable with and the way that I typically like to, to flip it for people is to, get focused on the savings rate, right? The rate at which you were saving being fairly constant rather than the actual money that you have. So then that way you're not, you're not just staying stagnant where you're at, but you're, you're growing at a consistent rate. Mm-hmm. One thing I heard you say earlier was, you know, you're taking little, little bites, little bites at a time. That's something that uh, we tell our, our fathers all the time. And on throughout this podcast, everybody always hears me say, how do you eat an elephant? one bite mm-hmm. at a time. Right. And it's that compound over time that helps you, you know? So I, I like that you said that and that you implement that as well, you know, and what you do, you know? Yeah. Um, a, a, a car driving at one mile per hour gets to its destination infinitely faster than a car going at zero miles per hour. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're, if you've been going zero miles per hour for a while, just, just go try to go a little bit slower because often that that's the kind of gets you, gets you unstuck. Mm, mm. Now we talked a little bit about stress, you know, financial stress and anxiety, right? Uh, how can couples manage that? Um, especially during challenging times or unexpected financial setbacks. I mean, 2020 was a big setback for a lot of people. And I think we're going to be going into that again, coming up here, Again, you know, they're talking about lockdowns and everything else. So, you know, how can you help couples manage that stress and anxiety? The the number one word that I hear people mm-hmm. use is the word anxiety when it when it comes to either the state of their finances today or what they're thinking about in terms in terms of their future. Um, yeah. 
It's a, it's a very, very, very common. Um, and, it, and it has become particularly more common since 2020. I, I, yeah. I agree with you there. Um, so there, there's a few things, right? To me, first and foremost, it's like, if you, if you think about you're building a building, right? The, mm -hmm. the first piece is getting the foundation in place, right? What does that foundation for your family look like, right? If you were to lose a, a job, how how long could you go paying your bills, right? But but before you you got stuck and were had to pull up credit cards or whatever the case may be, what does that runway look like? And are you comfortable with that number? Um, what does the insurance situation look like? To to our point earlier, right? In terms of life insurance, disability insurance, health insurance, right? All all the above, right? In terms of thinking through what could go wrong, um, are we like how well equipped are we to 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 handle those things? Mm -hmm. Um, the estate planning piece is, is a part of that as well, right? You know, what's going to, like, making sure that all of our account beneficiaries are up to date and um, the wills or trusts or, you know, whatever it might be. The guardianship piece is another one I'm just going to say, again, particularly for, for your audience, because um, it, it, it's a really important piece, right? Making sure that we have that security in place to a point where you feel comfortable, right? If, if we could snap our fingers and give you all of the financial security and stability, that you need um what, what does that look like are you from from that that point today and so just making sure we have that squared away and then from there we can start to build upward a little bit um you know men in particular i find right we often we look for the kind of the the, the next big thing right like what you know building the bigger better mousetrap so to speak and mm -hmm. um, we often are looking uh, uh, i mean and I, I i say this just based on the conversations i've had with with my clients right oftentimes it's the husbands who are two steps down the road and wanting to invest and getting into the new investment investment of the day type um like you know, trying trying to find the new thing to to put our money in so that it can grow over time, and um, that's all well and good if it's done in the context of that really solid financial foundation. And so, um, the, the 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 two cases that I often see drive that anxiety are first and foremost that foundation is either non-existent or very weak, and so in that case we want to you know get that in place. And then the second piece is that like the the just the level of risk overall, right? Whether that's investment risk right you know if the, if the covid 2.0 happens and we shut down the, the the stock market again and your accounts drop 50 percent like we don't know what we do mm -hmm. um or if they invested all in crypto crypto and new regulations come out and shut a lot of that down like you know what what happens what happens then like managing those types of risk mm -hmm. um but also just you know the like the the risks of um making sure that we have a plan in place if something were to happen to a job that 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 kind of thing certainly as well right and then there's no plan is ever good enough right like you you can always go more 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 but just getting comfortable on what's a reasonable baseline right in terms of how we would be able to weather that and, and being in a, being in a position to 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 do that yeah and and for sure also i want to add to that too is being someone that is trustworthy <laughs> you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of that financial stress and anxiety is bond from, you know, our spouse, which if you're spending ridiculously because you're buying all these vehicles or all these guns or whatever, you know, they're going to be looking at you like, okay, this is what you keep showing me. Now you don't have a job. Now mm -hmm. what are we going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, 
And I, I think that's important to talk on because a wife is wired differently than a man, right? A man is always looking for planning and long-term and all that stuff. And, you know, being a provider and stuff like that, a woman needs to know that her present, past, and future are all taken care of and everything touches on that. Right. Mm -hmm. So when she's not seeing stability in the way you're spending, she's going to be super stressed and anxiety is going to be super high when these things that happen in life happen, right? Because mm -hmm. we can never, I mean, we could always plan for the worst, right? Mm -hmm. But until we're in that position right there, we never know how people are going to respond, right? So yeah. if we are congruent with what our actions are showing, I think it's going to be a lot better in the long run for our spouse, for our children, because that's that a, a part of what we do as fathers and husbands is we're supposed to set the environment our children and our wives right and when yep. it's unstable like you talked about like that foundation if that's unstable dude man that's a that's bad and it's gonna be magnified with a loss of a job or whatever mm -hmm. maybe you know a hundred percent i i find that i mean spouses are pretty good at helping you keep the rails in place right mm -hmm. if if you if you give them a vote which you should i mean i i my my situation is a little bit more complex than some in the sense that I have this business that I run on my own, but like I, I run major financial decisions for the business by my wife to get her and put it. And there was a case, um, I won't get into the specifics, but three or so years ago where I was, I was debating kind of making a big play, so to speak, and going in a direction. And I mean, she looked at me, she said like, yeah, that's not the right fit for you. Like I very clearly is not like it, it might look good on paper, but you're going to clash with this person. Like it, it, this is not the right way to go. And um, spoiler alert, she was right about that as it turned out down the road, but um, with, with, with some mindset, like it, it um, managing money as a couple can be challenging, right? It, it, it comes with it's like share of, of things that you need to learn how to navigate the right way. Um, but it also can be a, just a huge, huge blessing as well um right in terms of in getting a second perspective of somebody who um knows you and wants the same things as you and you're working towards something together right that there's there, there's a lot of good in that right too so often when we talk about money and marriage it's the bad stuff right it's how often we're fighting about money right um how money fights are one of the leading indicators of, of divorce and the, the the that's all that all can be true yeah, but the opposite is as well, right? If you if you learn how to manage money well with your spouse, like good financial things tend to happen, mm -hmm. but it also just makes your marriage stronger. Yeah, yeah, I know for sure. Um, I could see how it can make your marriage stronger. Uh, it's part of being intimate, right? A lot of people think intimate intimacy is like sex and all that stuff. No, part of intimacy is exactly what the word states: intimacy being completely transparent that even you know is transparency in our bank accounts and our spending habits you know too many couples i've seen nowadays have different bank accounts she mm -hmm. has hers he has his this is my money i'm spending it the way i want to and she has no right to tell me mm -hmm. i mean a house divided cannot stand you know and yeah. these are just things to consider you know you know, it, it, it's fascinating that there was a, um, just being in the financial therapy world, like I, I, there's so little like good research that comes out 
couples and stuff like that. I always looking for that stuff just because I'm curious. And um, mm-hmm. there was a study that came out, I think it was from Indiana University earlier this year that um, actually proved that married couples who merge finances are happier and stay together longer, right? They, mm-hmm. they took over like 250 couples or something like that. And you know, all in the kind of early stages of their, of their marriage. And they told some of them, you can't combine anything. And they told the rest of them, you have to combine everything and looked at what happened over, I think a two or three year period. And um, just, I mean, every, every metric was pointed in the direction of like combining things tends to work better for couples. The challenge in, in the, in the real world is that everyone in the study was willing to be told what to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, like, it, it, like the, the research is pretty clear, like managing, like combining all your accounts, managing money together tends to produce much better outcomes. If you can figure out how to do that in a way, like if you're, if you're able to make it through that transition and um, there are ways to ease into that. And there are ways, like there's, there's some strategies that you can, um, th- that you can do to kind of get, get to the point where you feel comfortable with that. But I mean, these days more and more, I'm, I'm hearing couples who have concerns about that approach or are worried about taking that approach. And um, I mean, my question is always why, right? Like I to get, getting to the root cause of what that fear is. And then once we work through those, then it becomes a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. I need to, to follow up on that and, and do some research on that because that is pretty cool to see. I had heard before that, yeah, married couples are are more successful and stuff like that once they work together and stuff. But uh, I'd like to actually look into that and learn a little bit more about that. That's pretty interesting, Bill, that you brought that up. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, about red flags, right? What are some red flags or warning signs in a relationship when it comes to financial compatibility or mm-hmm. how couples can address issues? Yes, that's a really, really good question. And I I have a whole chapter in my book called Financial Red Flags for Couples. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I I was kind of chuckling because you you teed me up really well and I didn't even know it. Um, (laughs) First and foremost, right, there's there's a difference between people's financial state and their attitude about money, right? Um, um, There's a difference between being poor and not wanting to do something about it, right? And and, and I, I see this all the time with new couples with something like student loan debt, for example, yeah. right? Um, having a bunch of student loan debt is not a red flag, right? Not having a plan for what they're going to do with it is. Mm. Um, and so just kind of seeing past just the the underlying, you know, what does he or she make and um, what, what does the balance sheet look like to just to get to the trajectory, right? More than anything is what I care about there. Um, as as far as red flags go, um, there are three that I, that I tend to see. Um, okay. First and foremost is and and just for for like these are things that I often don't handle directly with people. This is where we would go to a marriage counselor or even the authorities for some of these, depending on what what they are. First and foremost are um, what we call financial infidelity. Um, and that, that is kind of what it sounds like, right? It's, it's the act of keeping financial secrets from, from your spouse, um, right? Whether it's hidden bonuses, bank accounts, credit cards, debts, um, it happens more than you think it does. Um, and, and it happens even, and I say that even, um, like it happens more than we often, like if, even if you're doing these types of things that you might not even realize it, not to keep quoting figures at you, but there was a study done that like people had admitted to keeping financial secrets, but 
not at like um but like twice as many people actually like admitted to the axe behind it right they they just they didn't have the label on it so um you know certainly right the the financial secrecy of some kind is a red flag that we want to um that we want to address um the second is a little bit more um a little bit less concrete for people but uh, for lack of a better term i'll say financial boundary issues right are um is your spouse giving money to, to, to family more than they should be, right? Are, are they helping, are, are, they, are they creating dependencies that shouldn't be created? Are they involving kids in financial discussions when they they really shouldn't be or it's not appropriate? Um, or like, you know, I saw a case where a, one parent was trying to use, like, get the get the child to financially manipulate the the other parent and it was it was a mess right the, those types of things anything with with financial boundaries with in-laws or children um or a flag and then the third is financial abuse right actually like controlling um your spouse's fi- you know fi- financial situations not letting them go to job interviews like um cutting off access to to money credit cards things like that that also happens more often than you probably think, and so the, those to me are the, the the really big red flags, right? The financial intimacy, because that um, can create similar problems in the long run than actual like sexual intimacy would. Um, mm-hmm. sec- sexual intimacy, um, infidelity was the word I meant to use. That intimacy there, um, mm-hmm. the opposite. Um, financial abuse, and then other like financial boundary issues. Mm. Now it's crazy how you can see how what you just said these red flags, right? can tie into even, you know, sexual, <laughs> you know, like you're talking about, like with the infidelity and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. It's interesting how it all is, you know, all tied in together. So let, let me tell you, I wasn't ready for the day that a, a couple came in and we set them up with the budget tracker and it led to like getting a, getting an affair flagged. What, wow. what wasn't, they, they don't teach you how to handle that in financial planning school. No, no. <laughs> we just did a podcast on affairs and uh stuff like that. And man, that was that was harsh, man. Um some good information though, because that's becoming more and more prevalent in our world today. So I'm glad we're able to have this topic and discussion and see how it it all is tied in together. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But uh, Bill, I want to give you this time and opportunity to be able to share with our audience uh, how they can get a hold of you or listen to your book or whatever you know you want to share yeah, with them. Yeah, um, th- thanks so much. So, um, Paysetter Planning is the name of my company. So, paysetterplanning.com. We have a link to my book there. Um, as of right now, anyway, I have it on sale there for half off when it's listed on Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. It's Instagram at Paysetter Planning is the best social media platform to get in touch with me with. And um, yeah, really appreciate you uh, being the chance to be on here today. Love love talking about this stuff. For sure. And I'll go ahead and have that on our show notes as well. Bill, once again, thank you for coming on our show and just being so open and transparent and just talking to our audience about this uh, important topic. Yeah, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Absolutely. We'll be talking to you soon, brother.